The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the Strange New Worlds Season 2 finale, Hegemony. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hey, Father Corey. How's it going? And Jimmy Aiken. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Uh, Folks, be sure to stick around. We have your listener feedback from our uh, last episode on Subspace Rhapsody. So this is some good stuff there. We want you to stick around to the end of the episode for that. Uh, Be sure to share this podcast with your friends. Help us grow our community and reach more listeners of Star Star Trek fan listeners. And another show on the StarQuest Network you are sure to enjoy, in addition to this one, is Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World which you can find wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash mysterious. Or at mysterious.fm. You should update your script. <laughs> I probably should. <laughs> it's, it's it's not even a script anymore. I'm not even reading it. It's just coming off the top of my head because I've done it so often. I will I will do change that for the future. So uh, we are talking about Hegemony, which is the final episode of the season in the, the 10th episode. And Jimmy, can you give us a recap of what happens? This week, Nurse Chapel is on her way to her three-month fellowship with Dr. Roger Corby. She's hitching a ride with Captain Battelle on the Cayuga, and they've stopped at a human colony world that's not part of the Federation. Suddenly, the Gorn attack and destroy the Cayuga and invade the colony. Pike and the Enterprise come to the rescue, but the Gorn have sent Starfleet a message to stay on their side of a line dividing the colony's star system. Uh, and the Enterprise can't just beam everybody up because the Gorn are using a combat dampening field to knock out transporters and communications. Pike and the gang defy orders and use stealth tactics to attempt a rescue mission. Pike leads a team down to the planet where he discovers Captain Battelle and a group of colonists. He also discovers Lieutenant Montgomery Scott, who survived a Gorn attack one solar system over and made his way here. Meanwhile, Spock undertakes an EVA mission to the wrecked saucer section of the Cayuga, which is still in orbit. The plan is to attach thrusters to it to make it fall out of the sky and smash the Gorn dampening field generator. On board the Cayuga, Spock discovers Nurse Chapel, so her plot armor is still intact. But things aren't looking so good for Captain Patel's plot armor, because she's been infected with Gorn eggs, much to Captain Pike's horror. Once the saucer section smashes into the field generator, communications and transporters are back online. Pike, Patel, and Scotty beam up, and Patel is put in medical stasis. Spock and Chapel make an EVA leap off the Cayuga saucer section, and they beam over too. Pike uh, tries to contact Admiral April with critical new intelligence about the Gorn, and April orders Pike's immediate withdrawal from the situation. At this moment, they discover that the remaining colonists and the landing party, including La'an, Dr. Mbenga, and Sam Kirk, have been beamed away by the Gorn. We end on a cliffhanger uncertain what Captain Pike will decide to do. The end. Come back next time, <laughs> a year yeah. and a half or some, something like that, to find out what happens. Oh, I hate these these long cliffhangers. Yeah. Uh, so when we were kids, we had to wait three months. Now it's who knows. So, yeah. Uh, overall impressions, Father Corey. I, I enjoyed this. Obviously, this was more action. This was more 
kind of, I don't know if you can say closing the loop on the Gorn, but we get to see more about the Gorn. We get, you know, get to see what it looks like when the Gorn actually do invade, because we've seen colonies that the Gorn had invaded and taken over, but now we get to see what it looks like when they actually do invade, what, what happens at the, those times. Um, of course, it was interesting, you know, it's a colony that was basically a mid, you know, mid 20th century uh, Earth uh, small town, you know, Main Street, you know, it's kind of, 1950s. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then they even kind of call it out like, oh, yes, they purposely made the colony to look like that. Mind you, they've got and then they've even though they've got like, you know, uh, 21st century side by sides, you know, early 21st century side by sides, you know, just a little four by four uh, carts and things like that. But now, but other, other than those little things that were kind of playing on tropes of star trek it was it was a lot of fun it was it was an enjoyable uh enjoyable episode and and, and um and it, a good setup for a, a two-parter how about you jimmy oh i enjoyed it um it was very different than subspace rhapsody but i expected it to be different and it uh is quite dramatic it's got some interesting possibilities for where they may go in the future i thought it was great to see scotty I like the mm-hmm. actor who played Scotty. Um, I don't believe that they're going to kill off Captain Battelle. I think that they'll save her in the next episode. Who they might kill off is Pelia, mm-hmm. because there's going to be rooting for Scotty to become the new chief engineer. And so they could have the um, the preternaturally long-lived Pelia say, well, everything has to end at some point and die. And Scotty becomes impressed into service as the new engineer. Um, so that's a possibility anyway. Uh, but I thought it was I thought it was a well done episode. The I'm a little bit like, OK, so we have the regular technology failures. But this time, I don't mind them because they're due to a combat technique. Uh, you you are going to want to knock out your enemy's communications and transporters if you're fighting them. So it makes sense that the Gorn would develop something like that. And it makes sense that there would be ways to do that. We can jam radio signals now. Presumably, we if transporters existed, we could jam transporter signals too. And you'd want to do that in a combat situation. So that all makes sense to me. I don't mind the tech failures for once. Um, the what I, I find a little cliched is the Pike and team must defy orders to save the day as opposed to. And they kind of set that up by this is not a Federation world, but still I've seen the our heroes must defy orders trope enough for it, it to be a little old. Um, the so I could have done without that aspect of the show. And the rest of it could have played out all exactly the same. They would still have to get down on the planet in a sneaky way. They would still have to knock out the uh, or could have to knock out the dampening field in a sneaky way. All that, you know, could have worked and played exactly the same without the order defying business. Um, It was a dramatic cliffhanger, too. When and I like that they didn't give us an indication of what Pike is going to do. So that, you know, is a, a legitimate way to execute a cliffhanger. I've seen others where they they do go a little further um, and it can be successful, like at the end of Best of Both Worlds, part one, where Riker says fire. Um, 
it can also be unsuccessful. Like at the end of Under the Dome season one, you got a person on a who's about to be hung from the neck and someone says, throw the switch. And it's like, you know, that's going to be undone at the beginning of next next season. Um, so so not telling us was fine. And I enjoyed it. So I I also enjoyed it. I understand also why Subspace Rhapsody was Rhapsody was not the season finale. Um, it was, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, you they needed to have this cliffhanger, this dark dramatic thing. Yeah. Oh, and one other thing, we've got Chekhov's cryo grenade on the mm-hmm. mantle. Right. We need we need to see that used since we didn't get to see it this time, and also. When it comes to Spock and Chapel, I totally called it. Last week, you two were like, oh, that relationship is done. That was a goodbye song. They've tied all that up. And I said, ah, I've seen enough soap operas. They can bring that back. They're likely to. <laughs> and they did. Uh, I, I, I think I'm, for me, the jury's out. I don't know that it's definitive. Yeah. No, no, no. I did. <laughs> they, they brought it back. Now, whether yeah. they're going to pursue it is another matter. But they had them holding hands in this episode yeah. and yeah. talking about future relationship conversations. That's, yeah, mm-hmm. I guess. I guess well, so. I'm withholding judgment, too. So <laughs> there's the Roger Corby is also on the shelf. So. <laughs> I, I agree. This is yeah. their relationship's not ultimately going to work, but I don't think they're yeah. done milking it for drama yet. No, it's, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I did. Yeah, I thought they had definitively uh, done it, you know, with that breakup song. Uh, it is weird to bring it back, but we'll we'll talk about it. Uh, I'll give my overall impression, which is was favorable as well. I like the action. Um, they were the, the the problems. I agree with you, Jimmy. The whole week, you know, Federation says, you know, Starfleet says don't engage. Like, no, the the Gorn have already declared war. They've shot, they've fired on a Federation starship. That is an act of war. Like uh, the, the whole like, oh, they've destroyed our ship, but we're not going to respond. That's an invitation of, of weakness. <laughs> and the Gorn are one of these warlike races where cl- clearly weakness is not something they respect. So I thought that was, that was iffy to begin with. Like you're going to leave your people behind? You, like your Starfleet? The Starfleet of this era is very, quizzling <laughs> it's very i don't know i just don't don't like the starfleet of this this period uh you have the the, the starfleet command uh so uh, that part I, I didn't like um but i did i i did like the introduction of scotty we'll talk more about that uh and uh overall i'm glad to see the gorn come back as the the gorn are clearly the big baddies of strange new worlds you know each series has its big baddies DS9 had Dominion, the Borg was for Voyager, you know, that, that sort of thing. Um, whatever the temporal Civil War people were for Enterprise. <laughs> uh, Discovery was Klingons, and until they went to the future, and who knows what that is now. And then, uh, but Strange New Worlds is clearly a Gorn series uh, as the big baddies. And uh, I'm here for that, because the Gorn in this are much scarier than the Gorn of the original series, that's for sure. So... Uh, let's talk a little bit about what's going on here. So that, imagine we mentioned the the set Parnassus Beta made to look like a 20th century Midwestern town, which would be almost like um, kind of like the village M. Night Shyamalan's movie where the uh, I don't want to spoil things, but people are living in a village <laughs> that looks like the 18th century. Uh, it'd, it'd be like people now going back to live in like an 18th century village uh you know, somewhere like to, the old West, like yeah. like, if, like if you built an old West city somewhere, town around here yeah. somewhere, you know, 
Yeah, I almost expected in Captain Battelle's initial log, this city, this colony has been built on the small cities model like mid-20th century America because that's what our budget would allow us to film at. <laughs> yeah. So if if this looks familiar to you, you may have watched the Amazon Prime series Reacher, uh, which this city, this backlot city basically set, <laughs> was the town of Margrave, Georgia in Reacher. So that that's going back to TOS of using the uh, you know Mayberry set. Yes. So the, <laughs> the barbershop in in Reacher was actually a very important uh, uh, set. So they actually reused that set, the barbershop set, in a very important way in this one. That's too. great. I thought that was hysterical. So uh, we've we we name checked Corby Fellowship that uh, Chapel was hitching a ride on her way to Roger Corby. That's why she happened to be here. Uh, and then we have this opening. Uh, uh, this uh, FaceTime conversation between Patel and, uh, and and Pike that gets interrupted, uh, very dramatic. You know, the losing the signal and the uh, going attack. By the way, the way Chapel is traveling is interesting. Um, there's actually a parallel for that in real world military. I was reading about it recently in a book about World War II and people's experiences in World War II. And if I recall correctly, that mode of travel where you just take anything that'll get you in the direction you're going is called traveling as a casual. And and in World War II, traveling as a casual could mean long delays and hardship and so forth. And some people who traveled casual swore they would never do it again. And then they had to. Yeah. Well, in, in today, today, I mean, a lot of times it's it's through commercial flight or whatever for military. But there are cases like, say, into an active war zone where you'll fly what they call space available, space A. And if if there's a you know, again, if there's a C-17 heading where you're going. And I, I did that actually to get to Saudi Arabia uh, when I was in the Air Force in the 90s. Um, I flew commercial over to Germany and then went to Ramstein Air Base in Germany. And then flew a C-17 into Saudi Arabia. And it just, it was with the first C-17 heading that direction. I had to be on it. So same kind of idea. Yeah. If you want to see a great movie that sort of does this is uh, the greatest beer run ever is a movie based on a true story about this guy from New York who wants to bring beers to all his buddies serving in Vietnam, uh, you know, as a show of support. And he's a civilian. But he ends up getting his, you know, talking his way. Uh, he, he's a he, he's a merchant marine, you know, sailor. He ends up in, in Vietnam, you know, at the port and ends up talking his way onto all these planes and all these things going all over the war zone uh, as a casual. Uh, people at some point suspect that he's a CIA agent and all this sort of stuff. <laughs> it's a great movie. Check it out on Apple TV Plus. But uh, yeah, it's a very similar thing. And CIA agents making beer, making extravagant beer runs from Vietnam would or to Vietnam would not be inconsistent with the behavior of the CIA in that period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, right. They, they were running their own uh, subversive airline even. Read, uh, read Legacy of Ashes. So uh, so we have this Gorn attack, which really dramatic. The, the, the image of the Gorn ship or whatever this thing is that lands, they don't, and they, they don't tell us exactly what it is and that's fine, but it, it looks like into, something from aliens. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And it looks like, um, the it coming into the atmosphere remind me of independence day, you know, that whole, like mm -hmm. the pushing the atmosphere in front of them and very dramatic. And, uh, well, there's, 
there's there's very much a lot of speaking of aliens there's very much a lot of aliens themes mm-hmm. and, and scenes and things like that in this episode and, and the gorn are great for that they're a great race for that kind of uh genre oh yeah i mean they kind of look a little bit like the aliens from that movie too with not the head but oh, the rest of the body and, and they deliberately play on it i mean we have those combat scenes on board the cayuga with spock and um and uh, Chapel and a Gorn in a spacesuit, and it's got the tail, and it's like the Xenomorph. Yeah, from this is like combat aboard the Nostromo in Alien, and yeah. they even have a moment down on the planet where Captain Battelle and the alien and one of the Gorn come face to face, and the Gorn is like looking right at her, and this is so much like Ripley having a face to face with the Xenomorph mm-hmm. at the end of the original Alien. It's like okay, I know where they're getting this. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, very yeah, drawn from that. So the uh, we have this very weird line in the sand, so so to speak, that the Gorn have drawn, where the they could the, the Enterprise can approach the Cayuga's wreck. But they don't, right? It was something. It was like this weird, like you can come here in space, but no further. Like it just, it was. It seemed arbitrary. It was was basically between the moon, where the Enterprise was on one side of the moon, and the planet, and most of the wreck was on the side with the Enterprise. But anything, but the debris was then streaming down to the planet as it was decay, as its orbit was decaying. Right. Yeah. It was a. I mean, you could say, oh, it's they're an alien species. Why do they do anything? You know, that's it's alien. Mm-hmm. But it just seemed a very odd, like we're, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we've clearly attacked your ship and your people, but we're going to let you hang around here, even though they're clearly more powerful than the Enterprise. Um, well, they, they, they understood better than the Federation that, or that Star, than Starfleet Command did that, you know, the Enterprise wasn't going to attack. So the Gorn was safe. All right. they had to do was just keep the Gorn away or the Enterprise away from them and they're fine. I also thought it was um, odd that we have this space-suited Gorn on the wrecked saucer section of the Cayuga trying to do stuff. And it's like, why is it over here? What is its purpose? Why is it doing this? It seemed like it was included just to juice the drama by having a, a outer space fist fight with Spock and Chapel. Well, when Chapel first encounters it, she hears it's trying to access the command codes. It's trying to get past yeah. the command codes. So I, that to me, it's a logical military reason. You send him over to get military intelligence. You download mm-hmm. the contents of the computer. Although you don't send one, you send a team, right. but you yeah. know, backup. Uh, so it doesn't happen exactly and, what happened. <laughs> and engineers to take the data system so that you can bring it back and study right. it at your leisure. Yeah, it, that that seemed a little weird. But uh, the, the 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 overall purpose it made sense to me that doing that um, on the Enterprise, everybody was was chomping at the bit to attack the Gorn in that briefing, including in Benga, including like everyone wanted to have their their slice mm-hmm. of the Gorn, um, and that's when. Uh, Pike brings out the special package that every ship now carries Gorn Gorn specific weapons crate 32 from section 31 <laughs> yep. right and, uh, I think it's uh, uh, not Lon but Ortega says breaking case of Gorn which I think <laughs> yeah. a great line, yeah. great line. <laughs> um, this is also notice the similarity to the beginning of best of both worlds as well where they you know we've encountered the Borg before and they kicked our butt and so now we have improved weaponry so just like last season finale the Gorn kicked our butt we barely got out of that him or died now we've got improved weaponry now, one of the questions someone might ask is, is like, oh, well, why don't they just make all their phasers like this now? And 
these are probably experimental. They're probably prototype sort of things. And it's like, don't use these, you know, regular away missions because we don't know if they'll if they'll work in all circumstances. But in extremists, well, they might be a little bit stronger. You know, that what you think is a stun setting will kill an average person. Right. You know, that kind of deal. I thought that was going to knock him out, not disintegrate him. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah. They, they also have recalibrated tricorders that will detect them now, whereas they didn't last season. Yeah. And they've got nitrogen grenades, which are supposed mm-hmm. to be deadly for freeze anything to death within like a 10 meter radius. It's like, OK, we have to see that happen now. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. And you didn't you didn't pay it off. So you better in the first episode of next season. Right. Uh, what did you think of them disguising the shuttle as debris from the Cayuga and then flying past the uh, the Gorn? I, I thought it was fine. The Cayuga would have had shuttlecraft on it that would have been debris after you smashed their ship. Um, so you would expect to see damaged shuttlecraft floating around. I also like number one's line at this point where she says it's an old zombie movie trick. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Spock is like, what? And she says, you know, pretending you're dead so you can pass among them. Haven't you seen haven't you seen one? And Spock says, a zombie? No. A movie? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, shall, I, shall, I, was, I shall endeavor to to rectify that or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Put that <laughs> yeah that was good. Um, yeah, no, it was I, I thought the I thought the idea of, of basically letting the shuttle drift, although, it, you know, it, there's other other shows that do that better where they show it where it's kind of drifting past and not getting seen. But I thought that I thought that was a, a effective way to do it. I, I love Ortega's reaction. She's she's a cloud nine, like oh boy, you know, I get <laughs> yeah. to do this. She's doing a hot entry, like you know, from the war. Yeah, and she, she and Pike is getting nervous as they're mm-hmm. doing their descent to the planet because they they need to look like a piece of falling debris. And she's um, Ortega's is wait until she gets under their sensor level, which means getting very close to the ground before she pulls it up. And Pike is really thinking he's likely to die. And Ortegas is like, don't worry, I did this 100 times in the war. And she's having a blast. And eventually Pike says to her after she pulls it up, you were born to do this, Erica. And and that's fine in and of itself. But it has it. it, There's a larger pattern. And I kind of noticed that I kind of commented on this last week. Pike is not heroic enough. In this series, men in general are not heroic enough. There's this female imbalance on this show. And I can I can appreciate Captain Pike like Captain Picard as someone who is the kind of leader that lets his crew shine and doesn't have to hog all the glory the way James T. Kirk tended to. Um, So I can appreciate that. But Kirk and Picard and Cisco all were heroic and did heroic things. Pike is being written in a way that he comes up short on that. He's in the Captain Kirk role and he's letting everyone do too much. You know what? He's not an, he's not, he's, he's a, he's a friendly leader. He's a nice guy. Sure. I'd like to work for him, but he's not really the hero in this and he's been set up as the hero from the oh yeah captain pike he was fleet captain and he you know he's this great hero before his accident and he needs to be doing more heroic stuff he needs to get you can't just sit back and authorize missions where other people get get the glory he needs to get some glory too if there is a male character who is getting the heroic uh, stuff, it's in benga it's, it's in benga mm-hmm. yeah that yeah. It's, it's the only one i can think of who's really getting that 
Pike is just a good delegating leader. You know, he leads, <laughs> but he delegates. No, <laughs> which is which is fine, but it doesn't make him that the great hero that we heard about in right. TOS, right? Yeah. The uh, the the interesting thing about the uh, Ortegas is piloting in. It reminded me of stories from uh, Afghanistan, or was no, it was uh, Iraq. The uh, I think it was the Baghdad spiral where uh, C-17s and other planes, supply planes coming into Baghdad airport had to do this really steep spiral in so that they weren't flying low over neighborhoods where people could shoot at the planes. And it was yeah. uh, said to be very uh, exhilarating for the passengers aboard. You, you have to do something similar flying into San Diego, not because the people on the ground are going to shoot you, but because, although some of them night in some neighborhoods, <laughs> yeah. but, um, but because the skyscrapers. And coming into San Diego Airport, you got to fly between skyscrapers. Wow! To stick the landing. Yeah, there's a, a similar similar situation in Montana. The uh, airport at Butte points right at the mountains. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. So you can you can imagine, and those are even less forgiving than a skyscraper is. Would you want to work in one of those skyscrapers? I don't think I would. <laughs> <laughs> I think it'd be kind of cool to watch them fly, but. <laughs> <laughs> I was in I was in Balboa Park in San Diego once. I was out. It was after a dance. I was talking in the parking lot with a friend of mine and we were watching the planes, which come right by low. They come right by Balboa Park for for landing. And we saw this one come screaming through the sky and it's really loud and it's really low. And then all of a sudden it pulls way up and starts getting higher and diverts. And so we just saw an aborted landing. How about that? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So. uh around the, the same time as like the the the, the um shuttle is is heading to the surface and in Una and Spock have this thing about the zombies there's also this discussion where about Spock trying to find Chapel aboard the Cayuga's remains because mm-hmm. the sensors are being blocked and Una tells Spock she you know she would never tell him not to hope for Chapel and she, he mm-hmm. says but, but don't hope Right. (laughs) Right. Basically, don't don't put it. Don't don't get your hopes up. But I'm not going to tell you not to hope. And she says um, he says all things seem trivial in the face of death. And that really resonated for me to remind me of um, Search for Whales, where Mm -hmm. he says there how we face death is as important as, you know, uh, I forget what was it important as. But but the how we face life, how we I guess it was how we face life. And the. um, Spock and his relationship with death, shall we say, is an interesting journey that he goes on over the next hundred years or 50 years or yeah. whatever of his mm-hmm. life that, that he goes in. And it's interesting to see them introducing him talking about these concepts now uh, that that will become such such important to his character later. I, I love the uh, the moment at the beginning of Search for Whales where or it's during the course of Search for Whales where McCoy turns to Spock and says, so tell me what it's like being dead. You really have gone where no man has gone before. Yeah. And, and Spock is like, well, with since we didn't share the experience, we don't have a common frame of reference. I can't describe it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like. Okay, you can do better than that. Um, <laughs> in in fact, in parapsychology, there's lots of accounts of what it's like. Um, yep. But uh, it's still, I appreciated the line. Yeah, I think he was just tweaking McCoy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because <laughs> so, I mean, technically they did kind of share the experience since Spock's Katra lived in McCoy. That's right. So, uh, so on the surface, La'an is the only one who's faced the Gorn on a, you know, on a, 
personal uh, level, personal level mm-hmm. before. I mean, they've all faced them, uh, you know, the, the baby Gorn, but not the adult Gorn. But uh, she's she notices that the Gorn aren't fighting for dominance uh, like they mm-hmm. like they usually do. They're working together and. They leave that thread open. Hopefully we'll find out later. The reason. So it's Gorn infants that yeah, right. are hungry. And when the food is gone, they should be fighting each other for dominance and consuming each other. And they're not doing that. They're cooperating, which is abnormal behavior for young Gorn. As, whereas older Gorn obviously cooperate in various situations or they wouldn't have spaceships. So, yeah. So th- that's another thread that I hope we get mm-hmm. closure on in the in the next season. They also imply that Gorn's life cycle is somehow related to stellar activity mm-hmm. that if stars act up in certain ways it's going to prompt certain behavioral responses on the part of the Gorn and this is part of the critical intelligence that Pike needs to get back to Starfleet so that they can figure out how solar cycles interact with Gorn biological cycles and possibly use that against them. Right, critical intelligence. Yeah. Um, they also which, have, which may uh, be part of the solution to the cliffhanger. Right. Mm-hmm. The uh, yeah, they'll do something to the sun to cause it to, you know, make them hibernate or something. So the um, there's also a line on the planet that brings up hope again, which I think is very interesting, where I think it's Pike who says hope is a choice, uh, mm-hmm. a choice we make. Um, so hope be, has become an important element in this story, you know, that we he's hoping for to find Battelle at this point. Uh, you know, they've, uh, Spock is hoping to find Chapel. They're hoping to find survivors of the attack. So this hope is, is big, big in this episode. I, I like the way they, they did that line where he, he says it. He's like, as I've told you before, he says it. And Lon says, yeah, I know. He goes, no, I was kind of more talking to myself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, kind of reminding himself that he needs that hope, too. So this is about the point where they get stuck in the uh, Gorn trap that Scotty has set. And we have this introduction of Scotty. How do you feel about Scotty showing up in Strange New Worlds? I'm fine with it. I, I expected it to happen at some mm-hmm. point anyway. Yeah, same here. Yeah, I, I don't know like um, if it's going to be that. We know he's going to replace Pelia. You know how that happens. It's going to be interesting to see. I don't know necessarily, mm-hmm. as like you said earlier, Jimmy, that she's going to die. I don't know necessarily that that's going to happen. It may it not. Could that's one way they could do it. Another way could do it of, okay, I've had my fill adventure. Now I'm going back to Starfleet Academy for another hundred years mm-hmm. or whatever. But there's ways they could do it. But I, I do. It is clear that they are setting it up where Scotty is going to join the join the Enterprise yeah, either yeah. in season three or later on. And they're just introducing him now. Yeah. And the fact Pelia has said that he was one of her best students gives could give be a motive for her to say, OK, yeah. I'm, one of my best students is here now. I'll, I'm going to go back to the academy. Yeah. Uh, and actually, that, that plays off something she said before where uh, Hammer, oh, he was one of my best students. No, I'm just saying that because he's dead. He was really just kind of an OK student, <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. Right. you know, but but with with Scotty, she says one of my best students with the worst grades. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't very good at schoolwork, but he was her best student. So there's um, ultimately. So this is the, like the five years immediately preceding Kirk's five year mission. So what they're going to mm-hmm. do over the course of this series is which is presumably they're planning on five seasons. Um, over the course of those five seasons, they're going to gradually introduce all of the regular characters that were there at the beginning of TOS. 
So we can expect Gary Mitchell to come in. We can expect Elizabeth Daner to come in. We can expect Sulu to come in. And we've already got the others, except for Chekhov, who didn't come in until second season of TOS. Dr. Boyce. It would be the other one. Oh, no. Dr. Boyce no. was previously served because Dr. Boyce was in the the menagerie, oh, right. and right. that's in our right. past. Was McCoy in, the, in? Oh, McCoy will need to show up, too. OK, because because right now, I mean, apart from Sulu and McCoy, we've got the the whole regular main cast. Already. Yeah, right. But we also need to have Mitchell and Daner come in. Right. They they could introduce Chekhov because it was implied in Star Trek Two that that Chekhov was on the Enterprise in when Space Seed. Space Seed occurred. Yeah, yeah. yeah they gone. they could bring him in too. Whether they will because of Anton Yeltsin Yelchin's death, I don't know. But they could. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that would be interesting. Um, that, someone said that they felt like Scotty was too young. That because. Uh, James Dewan at the start of uh, TOS was about 35. And this guy, as a young lieutenant, looked, you looked younger. A little, old, little older than that because he served in World War II. I think I looked it up. He was in mid mid to late 30s, I think, at least. I thought he was yeah, early 40s. Late 30s. Really? Late 30s. Thir- okay. So, because Star Trek was 24 years after World War II ended. Yeah. So, if, if you're 18 plus 24. And, and Kirk was older. Kirk was 35. In the original series, and it was implied Scotty was older than Kirk. That's what it is. He's he was in his mid forties, and this yeah, guy is go. in his mid thirties. Yeah, yeah. Having said that, MST3K mantra. Right. Yep. That's what I said to others. Is uh, you know, I'm I'm okay with it. You know, <laughs> I, I, I think he played the part well. I, yeah. And and by the way, this is the first Scotsman to play Scotty. <laughs> right. Right. Because uh, who played him in the in the Kelvin uh, was um, Simon uh, Pegg. Simon Pegg. Yeah. Who's English? Yeah, who is okay as Scotty, but yeah, um, yeah. James Dewan was served in the the, the Canadian military in the World War Two in the seventeen hundred and first artillery of the Canadian. Army. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, That's funny. It was awesome. I just hope this Scotty isn't div- inventing inter- interstellar transporters at warp. <laughs> right, right. I don't so, think we'll have to worry about that's that. That's just <laughs> vastly too powerful. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but this one, I mean, he's he's already showing his resourcefulness. He was serving mm-hmm. aboard this uh, ship, the Solar S- Surveyor. The mm-hmm. Star Diver. Yes. And figured out a way to, you know, evade the Gorn by being on this shuttle with a, uh, a Gorn transponder system. Um, mm-hmm. Which is sure to show up again uh, in the next next season, mm-hmm. um, which, because they made a big point of taking it, right? right. Uh, so and they, they um, yeah, it was interesting that you know they show the shuttle coming down, and it's just like, is that one of ours? Right, and it wasn't. We were thinking, okay, mm-hmm. this is one of the Cayuga shuttles, the first, you know, when it first got shot shot down, but it wasn't. It was him crashing. Mm-hmm. Oh, in the opening, yes, yeah. yes, yep. that's what that was. Okay, I. To, didn't make that connection. Um, so, so far he's figured out how to overclock the engines on the space, on his shuttle. Mm-hmm. Um, he created a sensor mask for humans, created a Gorn trap, built a Gorn transponder. Scotty is going full tilt. Scotty. <laughs> so <Yeah>. far. <laughs> this uh, Survival makes you want to do things like that. Yeah. I mean, this was, this was always <laughs> the thing we loved about Scotty is he could always make it happen. Yeah. So that was good. Uh, what did you think about using the Cayuga's saucer section to crash it into the uh, transponder device, the interference device? I like the plan. That's fine. I like using blunt force trauma to take out a thing instead of just doing some technobabble thing. Um, 
I like the idea of putting thrusters on the Cayuga saucer section to nudge it in a way that looks like it's happening naturally. I did have a question. I, I thought this was a bit of a flaw where, so they've got the Gorn there just so Chapel and Spock can have a fight with it. And, um, and that's the real reason it's there. It's, it's not because it's necessary for, some strategic reason, although there's, a, I mean, they've given it one, but it's the real reason it's there is so it can, so we can have some drama with, with, with Chapel and Spock. And they want that to occur for some reason in the bridge of the Cayuga. So they, they have to place a thruster in the bridge <laughs> inside. Now that kind of works because it's this view screen is blown out. So the thruster can expel reaction mass out the front of the ship. Um, it does give us a night. It's, it's, this is wonky, you know, from a physics perspective, but I mean, it kind of would could work. Um, it would work better if this was a reactionless drive. Mm. Um, if they had reactionless drives, they could put them anywhere they want. They could put them inside, and because they're not expelling reaction mass, it would make it would make sense. Um, but I guess they want the Gorn. To, I guess a the writers may not know about reaction dri- reactionless drives, and also they want the Gorn to see the reaction mass, like venting oxygen or whatever pushing the saucer section. It, ha- having said all that, this does give us a nice moment where during the fight, Spock's phaser has been knocked out of his hand and it's starting to float out what used to be the view screen and Chapel has to go after it. But because no gravity boots, she has to, and, and the gravity is offline. She has to like catch the railing with one of her feet to keep her from flying out. And then she's got to do this reachy, reachy, try to get the phaser thing. And it's a nice dramatic moment, even though it could be handled multiple other ways, given the technology they have, including a line from four episodes back. We have jetpacks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. And they do eventually show that with when they leave the ship. But I got, you know, they, they call them like retro rockets or something like that. But I got the feeling they were more like, reactionless drives you know although but, when they fired they saw something coming out the back so oh did you okay yeah. I, I must have missed that because yeah. I, I, I think it because yeah that would make sense for to me too of you know putting it on the bridge inside the bridge if it was reactionless you yeah. know if there was no actual thruster yeah but yeah. We we should probably explain what reactionless drives are for people who may not be aware. So the way a normal rocket motor or thruster works is it it it, it operates on the principle of reaction. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction, as Newton told us. And so what you do is you throw something out the back of the rocket motor, and that pushes the front of the rocket motor forward. So that's how a standard rocket motor works. You throw stuff out the back and it pushes it forward as the equal and opposite reaction. But in science fiction, there are reactionless motors where you can you can get it. You can get motion out of the system without throwing any mass out the back of it. That's how warp drives supposedly work. Yeah, the warp drive would be one example of a reactionless motor, but there are others, including what's known as the M drive, which is a real world test device that NASA is seriously investigating. For many years, people said reactionless drives won't work because they violate Newton's laws. But um, 
but they've developed a theory uh, using electromagnetic radiation where you bounce the radiation around inside the drive and it somehow pushes the drive forward. And now, and they got some preliminary results that even though we don't have a theory to account for exactly why this should work, it, it, they got enough data that NASA is actually testing the EM drive now. Hmm. So we may have reactionless drives in the near future. Interesting. You know, another aspect of this whole thing is the, the, the notion that only Spock can, again, we, we need to get yeah. Spock over there. Only Spock they, can be precise enough. They didn't go, they didn't, that went by way too quick. They needed to justify that more. Yeah. Cause like, don't try coders work <laughs> computers mm-hmm. tell you exactly where to place it yeah. on the hole. Like, well, yeah. and it, it's, it was, place I, I your saw device s- now. <laughs> yeah. I saw, saw people on, online where that, why he can't handle, he's the only one who can handle the conditions or whatever. And then the idea was he's supposedly the only one who can fly over, do plant them in the exact locations, you know, to the inch and then fly back. Although it yeah. doesn't even need to be that precise either, but. You know, maybe, but who knows? Yeah, they 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 could have handled that better without the. It must be Spock. I mean, number one is in charge. She knows Spock has the hots and is desperate to find out if Chapel's okay. <laughs> Just Mister Spock, you're assigned. Right, Ish. right. By by the way, we should we should mention other than the Gorn, Chapel is the only person that survived on the Cayuga. Yes. at least that we know of. Mm-hmm. We don't know if there are other people who were injured, who were burned up in the atmosphere or blown up when the thing crashed, but that's a, that's Chapel's a, the one. Yeah. If Chapel's the only one who survived, if one person survived, the odds are someone else did too, you know, and that's and didn't even mention it. Yeah. Didn't even mention that there could have been other crew members who went down and down with the saucer. Yeah. That's cold. <laughs> it, it was cold, but it worked. So we have finally seen an adult Gorn of this era, you know, as opposed to the TOS <laughs> rubber suit. Uh, what, we we kind of mentioned a little earlier, but what do y'all think of the the adult Gorn? I, I mean, I, I, I we don't see pleased. all of it because it it is in a a space suit. Yeah, you know, it's 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 clearly in a suit with a with a mask. I like which I like how Spock kills it, cool. it by smashing its mask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it suffocates. Yeah. So, no, it was, and I, I, I mean, I liked what it looks so far. I mean, we don't see all of it, but it, it definitely does look a lot better than the TOS Gorn. That's for sure. <laughs> right. Low bar. Yes. Yeah, I know, yeah. right? <laughs> that is a low bar. And it's less um, uh, like a beast of the original series mm-hmm. one, you know, arena. Uh, whereas this, it, it's clearly, it's wearing a suit. It's clearly it's it's in- space capable. It's clearly... Intelligent. Yeah, and it looks more like a, a more lizard like yeah. than the original did. And it's not wearing that Flintstones uniform that uh, the original <laughs> Gorn did. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, so back on the surface, they've they're hiding out in the cat in the uh, diner. Some for some reason, the uh, Gorn. Yeah, I know uh, Scotty is masking their mm-hmm. their signal, but are the Gorn deaf? Oh, <laughs> and it's and it's like a barbershop diner. Yeah. <laughs> And I just realized here in here in my hometown in Fayetteville, I I was at a gas station recently and there was a barbershop diner there, too. And it was like this when it was abandoned. Yeah, it's like, okay, it's both it's it's both a taco place and a barbershop somehow. Well, this was a different place than the barbershop. Like they this, didn't yeah. make that. They didn't make that clear. No, it looked like it was part of the same building to me. Well, it might have been part of the same building, but it was like right next door. Yeah, because they, you know, like those continued buildings. You know, like they built yeah. one building onto the next. Right. And so they went on. from the so, barbershop to the to the 
police station, I think, or the uh, some office where the Gordon trap yeah. was, and then from there with Scotty to the where the people were hiding out in the in the diner. But but like people walk around talking, blah blah blah. I'm like the the Gordon younglings not coming around here. Well, but, you got the the TV screens on showing to you know, to to shelter in place and all yeah. that kind of stuff. And uh, interesting blood everywhere showing the map that there was this massacre like there's like sprays of blood all over the place they don't talk about it much but you you, you get the clear sense what they say like thousand five thousand people five thousand and and maybe the only people left is this handful in this one room and they must have gathered them together before slaughtering them which might be mm-hmm. why they're hiding here because yeah. you don't get that much blood a human has like between one and two gallons of blood yeah yeah so uh they, I think it's, Pike, I think we have like five quarts or something. Yeah, right. Pike and Patel go with Scotty to his crash shuttle to get the uh, Gorn transponder. And you mentioned Jimmy that they're confronted by this Gorn youngling who gets right in her face and doesn't attack. At which point, I, I, I'm clear. Oh. Surely you guys had the same thing. Oh, yep. she's impregnated. The yeah. the instinct is not to attack. Right. I have my notes say Battelle alien face to face, Ripley, and then on, on the line under that, Battelle is carrying Gorn offspring. Right. So saw yeah. it immediately. Which we I, um, I did. Yeah. I did like when he when when the Gorn was was looking at her and Pike was reaching for the gun. Immediately it looks at her at him and he's like, oh, no, never mind. Not doing anything <laughs> over here. Yeah. Don't look at me. Um, and then uh, and then it runs off. And and we know, you know, we've been told it's 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 a. Uh, you're, you, there's no no cure for it. It's fatal every time. You know that's what we've been told. This was the hammer thing yeah, from earlier. We got we got upgraded weapons now. So we, and, we they, have, and they did. Yeah, and they did say that. Uh, Pike did say, you know, Hammer didn't give give us a chance to try to figure it out. Right. He just assumed and jumped. Yes. So they they will beam her up and put her in stasis until we figure out the. Uh, and that's the thing is like Jimmy, you said like she's you, you think she'll survive. I agree. Like once she's on the Enterprise, she's going to survive. The yeah. the way she would, if she was going to die, she would have died on the surface Her- in a self sacrifice. Yeah. yeah, but we've already but done that, that with Hammer. Yeah, they, <laughs> yeah, that was I have Hammer is one of my notes. Meaning, how are they going to differ this from what happened with Hammer? Because having having the same kind of death in both season finales, it, that's too repetitive. They wouldn't do it that way. They need to change it up somehow. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely. I, now, I agree. Yeah. There there was one one thing that was kind of an inconsistency, at least where I saw it, where when when Chapel woke up, she was holding her hand like she like her fingers were injured. Yeah. But then through the whole rest of it, her hands were fine. Like her left hand, she had like, in, you know, like she'd turn on the flashlight and she kind of did it weird. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't know if she was holding something. I missed that. But That's they were very right. inconsistent because then, of course, she immediately goes to sick bay afterwards and starts working using both hands. She like, may have waved something over her hand to fix it. I don't know. <laughs> That's but true. even on the Cayuga, no. like once she got to the bridge, she was it was showing no problem. So, yeah, I think it might have been a little inconsistency. One thing I did like about this episode is as soon as communications go down, they immediately start talking alternatives and they, and Uhura points out, we still got line of sight, yeah. which means you can use line of sight communications like a communications laser. And we, unfortunately we don't really see them doing that because they don't really communicate with anybody until the, until the tower goes down. But, um, but, Chapel sees the Enterprise and then Spock out from from within the Cayuga's saucer, and she pulls up what looks like a flashlight to try to signal them. And it's very obvious this is meant to be a flashlight, so the audience will understand what it is. 
and what she's trying to do. But in reality, it's like, okay, mm, I think Larry Niven got this one right. If we have an, a civilization like this, we're not going to be carrying ordinary flashlights and using them for communication purposes because regular light sucks for 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 communication purposes it's very short range space is very big what you want is a laser so that you've got coherent light that will travel in a long, for a long distance without spreading very much and so you'd use communi- communications lasers which have other purposes you can use them as cutting tools you can use them as all kinds of things but you want laser light not regular optical light and so her being a physician, she could just grab something, uh, grab a medical laser from sickbay and use that. Well, except the, sickbay the was six gone. Bay that was gone. Well, yeah. six bay, she yeah. wasn't in sickbay. She was in a quarter. So can, she was she using what she have had. it in her, in her yeah. medic kit that she carries with her. Yeah. yeah, yeah. In, in, in an emergency. Um, I, I don't have a problem with that scene because in an emergency, you grab what you have and you use what you've got. And so I don't have a problem with that. Um, so as far as with the lights, uh, the thing I get, I thought of, was the the lights mounted on the the shoulder pads, which is like finally instead of the thing the wrist things that Voyager had or carrying it in you know <laughs> the wrist like things they actually were terrible. Have, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a bad idea. Yeah. I just I, I understand why they used a flashlight. I just it's I would have preferred it if they had. It, I don't understand why they have an ordinary flashlight on this ship because that looks like a twentieth century flashlight. Um, but it's just to let the audience recognize it. I would have preferred if they had used a a laser for communication purposes. Just don't shine it like the the cutting laser through the port hole because <laughs> until you have your suit on, you know what I mean. Uh, the the other problem is is uh you know if you're flashing a light out the window, you look at the Cayuga, it's on fire. There's like light everywhere, mm-hmm. like sparking of electricity and all this sort of stuff. There's no way you'd well, notice an, it. Another reason laser light is good yeah. because it's, it has unique frequencies. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, I, in, I, in I, fact, I, like, I could, I could interact with this scene by saying, of course you failed nurse chapel. You didn't use a laser. That's why they couldn't detect this. Right. Uh, so, uh, yeah. everybody, I like the misdirection of everybody beaming, getting beamed up from the surface. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, the, the the away team and the survivors thinking, oh, that's the Enterprise grabbing them. And it turns out it wasn't. Um, uh, that was a nice little misdirection. Well, and, and it was funny because they used the sound, but the special effects were very different. There's a yeah. greenish uh, blur to the special effects yeah. that you don't normally have. So because when I first saw it, it's like, oh, they got them. Oh, no, they didn't. And then when mm-hmm. I watched them the second time, it's, oh, yeah, they made it. Not I, they made it clear, but you had to be looking for it. Yeah, I, I picked up on the fact this is a different transporter effect than than I'm used to, but I didn't immediately connect it to the Gorn. Although the green tinge is meant to signify that. Yeah, yeah. So because special up- effects artists are racist, <laughs> right. Gorn have green skin, therefore the transporter beam has to be green. Well, the Federation, <laughs> the Federation are pink skins, uh, so ours isn't pink. <laughs> so the uh we have the cliffhanger uh you know we get the questions you know the that we're left with which are does pike withdraw what happens to the crew and the colonists does Battelle die clearly you know my guess obviously and it's not a, a stretch to say that pike will not withdraw he may withdraw temporarily but he'll he'll be back they'll rescue the crew and the colonists Patel won't die and the, the 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 big question is will Patel die and my guess is Patel won't die but uh what do y'all think? 
Well, they have to rescue uh, Mbenga because he's in the original series. Yeah. So he's mm-hmm. got plot armor. Yep. Um, so. I, I think we'll have the big the big rescue mm-hmm. episode, and it'll probably be some some of the of the the colonists will get lost, but eventually they'll rescue some of them, and the the crew, the Enterprise, at least those who are returning next season. This could also be a if uh if Laon doesn't want to come back next season, then she'll you know <laughs> she'll she'll be one of the the casualties. Right. Right. Even if she survives, they could ship her off for medical treatment or something. Yeah. Um, also, um, so if they use the sun to put the, the Gorn to sleep, which seems like they're setting us up for something like that, it's going to really echo Best of Both Worlds Part 2, because that's what they did to the Borg. I wonder if it's to, it could be to sleep, but it could also be to just withdraw or, you know. Mate. Yeah, <laughs> something distracting, which is mm-hmm. which would yeah. that, that would be. Well, it, it, it could be that it basically made it sound like the CMEs caused the Gorn to go into the, their feeding frenzies, mm. their, you know, to seek out their new their new prey. And right. so maybe it's the opposite thing where where they go docile, maybe not asleep, but docile. So uh, so that's the end of this episode. And uh, I wanted to, you know, and the end of the series season, not serious, thank God. But well, one, one more thing before we, we do that, okay. um, just we, we talked about it briefly, but I really do like the idea of the interfe- interference field generator. OK, you've got a race that they communicate by line of sight. We, it, they've already established that They're, they don't use radio communication. They communicate by line of sight. And so they have a device that basically just wipes out all radio frequencies. Right. Nothing that operates over a radio frequency like the transporter, like the comms, like the the, uh, the sensors wipes it all out. Because they don't need it. Because they don't, they don't right. use it. Right. That's a good point. You know, and it's just kind of like, okay, you guys rely on this. So we're just going to take away your ability to do anything and we'll operate just fine. I suppose if like you were a uh, race that was deaf on a battlefield, mm-hmm. you would just have like noise generators as loud as you could possibly. Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. That's a good point. So I was going to say, uh, thank you for that. But I was going to say uh, with, the, with the end of the season, we can look back and, you know, talk about the season as a whole and uh, what's your assessment of season two of strange new worlds jimmy what did you think of the season as a whole i enjoyed it as a whole um you know i thought there were ups and downs uh but i i enjoyed it i particularly enjoyed the more comedic episodes um i really like those old scientists i like subspace rhapsody there are things i would have done differently in both of those i would have leaned more heavily into both of the concepts they were exploring. Um, There were other episodes that um, I wasn't as wild about. The the Ad Ad Astra per Aspera trial episode I I liked on the whole. Um, I thought that um, I thought that uh, this legal solution was nice that they actually walked us through the procedures and established a plausible basis given their own law for how to let number one continue serving. I thought it was crazy as heck, but uh, that's how lawyering can work. You just got to give the judges an excuse legally to do what they want to do anyway. Um, and and that's frequently a successful legal tactic. Uh so I guess those were my impressions overall. My criticisms, I mean, I have individual episode criticisms, but 
an overall criticism, as I've mentioned the last couple of episodes, is is there's even though it's nowhere near as bad as Discovery, there is a Hollywood agenda that is distorting the writing. And in particular, it's you know, it's it's distorting it in subtle ways that you may not pick up on initially. But um, the male-female imbalance on the show is really showing where with three exceptions, like all of our main characters are women and the 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 heroic lead, the cis white male guy is giving all the glory to everybody else. And he's not living up to the hero role that we've been told he has. Um, so I think there's some some politics uh, distorting the writing in a negative direction. Individually, that doesn't result in a lot of negative stuff. It's on a fairly subtle level, but I think they need to I think they need to be a little less ensemble. They need to introduce more males into the ensemble. Losing Himmer was a, a you know, and having him replaced by Pelia was shifted the balance even further in the female direction. They need to I think they need to reestablish some some better balance. And I think they need to concentrate more on our core three. Um, I think Pike and Pike and Spock and number one need to have bigger roles. And in particular, I think Pike does. And and number one, to a lesser degree, number one had a bigger role at the beginning of this season, but she's kind of faded into the background more. And she's the first officer and the first officer and the captain are significantly absentee compared to other characters. So I think they need to build those two up more. Well, agree your assessment of the season. You know, I, I really I did enjoy the episode, the season. You know, it, it was even for the episodes I didn't like. They weren't bad episodes. It was more of a measure of taste than it was. You know, like the two episodes that I think I was the least positive about was at Aspera Paraspera, the, the, the legal episode and Subspace Rhapsody, because, as I said, I am not the biggest fan of musicals. Um, so, I mean, but but again, that's a matter of taste. That's not a matter of they were bad episodes that they were well, they were badly done or anything like no, they were good episodes. They just weren't my taste of episodes. Um, I, you know, looking at the list, you know, the, the one they covered some things that I thought were really, very well done, uh, you know, concepts that were really well done, like under the cloak of war, where they talked about the issues of PTSD and, you know, things that happened in war. It tur- uh, uh, issues of, of violence and stuff like that that happened within war and forgiveness after the war and stuff like that. I, I, um, I want to chime in on that and just say I agree. Uh, Under the Cloak of War is the best battlefield episode of Star Trek we've had. Yes, I agree. No, and and, and, and again, you know, as a veteran who thanks be to God never actually fought, I was just you know I served, but I didn't have to fight in war. You know, I, I am aware of some of the issues that that our soldiers are dealing with today our veterans are dealing with today and it was great to see that brought up in star trek in such a uh, excellent way um the, even the time travel episode tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow was a good time travel episode it was actually well done that was fun like some yeah it was a fun episode it was well done so i really enjoyed that uh this was a good conclusion hegemony i would keep want to say hegemony but i know hegemony is how you pronounce it um but it, it it's uh it it's such a it was a good a good conclusion to the season you know they they did it they did a very good uh job with the season all in all I do agree with Jimmy that the uh the the big three need to get more screen time Spock and and number one and Captain Pike 
especially Captain Pike. He does, you know, he is such a he is such a likable character and he is such a likable leader. But yeah, the the issue of, you know, he is supposed to be this great hero and he does show heroic aspects, but he it's not like the forefront of his character. And I would like to see more of that going forward as well. I'd I'd also like to see more number one. She feels underdeveloped at this point. Yeah. Mm. And she's fun. She's a fun character. Mm. I I really like number one. So for, for me, um, I very close in agreement with you guys on, on almost everything is, uh, I think there wasn't a bad episode this season. I think every episode was had was at least good. Um, I liked some better than others. I broken circle, which didn't have Pike at all. It was maybe mm-hmm. my least favorite of them. Um, which was that one again? The, that was the season premiere where oh, uh, right. Spock had to hijack the yeah. ship to yep. go rescue Lon. Um, it was okay. I mean, it was it wasn't terrible, but it just was. If I had to pick my least, it might have been that one. Um, Oh, and the the Vulcan uh, the Vulcan sure, really. engagement party episode was fun. That was very fun. Yeah, like the, those are good. Um, Among the Lotus Eaters was also not my one of my favorites, but uh, still some good stuff there. Very disturbing. Not what I expected from Lotus Eaters. Yeah. <laughs> right. uh, Under the Cloak of War, I, I'm in agreement. Probably one of the one of the best episodes of Star Trek. I think for me, uh, it just stands out the quality of the acting and writing in that one was, was, was outstanding. The, uh, the, the overall, um, it was kind of odd that the Gorn only show back up again at the end in hegemony, which kind of felt kind of odd given the way they built them up in season one, but season two was, you know, they took season one and they went to the next level. I really like it. I like the introduction of Pelia, uh, this season, interesting character. Um, she didn't, she didn't get an overwhelming amount of screen time, which is fine. She's the chief engineer. shouldn't necessarily. Um, but I think they did fine with that one. Um, overall, uh, I'm happy with, with the way the season went. And I think uh, I'm looking forward to season three to see where this continues to go. Uh, I did. I do want to mention what, when you're talking about like the being Pike light, you know, not getting enough Pike Spock is getting probably the most development of mm-hmm. anyone mm-hmm. in this series. Uh, and then maybe you were a second in that, which is kind of interesting. So chapel you know, two. Yeah. And, and then you got to throw Lon in there because she's getting a lot of time and it's kind of interesting because you've got all these secondary characters. I mean, Spock arguably is the most important of, of them all uh, of those characters, but you really need to, we really need to get more Pike. And I know that the reason Pike wasn't in it as much, especially the early part of the season was because Anson Mount's wife had a baby and he was taking some paternity leave, uh, but nevertheless, we've got to get more Pike into this and we've got to get him more mm-hmm. deeply involved in the heroic level. I agree with you both on I, that. I've got a fever and only cures for more Pike. <laughs> that's right. Instead of more cowbell. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's our discussion of hegemony and our discussion of season two. And uh, now let's move on to our listener feedback, which came in on our discussion of subspace Raps- Rhapsody. Our first feedback comes from Rogerio on Facebook, who says, I believe it's Rogerio. Ro- sorry. Yes, uh, Rohirio. This entire episode was silly, cheesy, and utterly ridiculous, and I loved every moment. Me too. <laughs> Me too. Uh, our second comment comes from Donna on YouTube, who wrote, when we were discussing musical Star Trek, what about TOS The Way to Eden? That had several songs. Yay, brother. That episode <laughs> does not exist. <laughs> Yeah, and and it's not um. There's a difference between a a movie that has people singing in it and a musical, right? And that's a 
TV show that has people singing in it, but that doesn't make it a musical. We did discuss, uh, you know, uh, Uhura singing to Spock, and, you mm-hmm. know, and that sort of thing too. So, but so there was was that, was that the the, songs. Yeah. the space hippies <laughs> Herbert Herbert yeah, <laughs> yeah Herbert. Oh, that was a very sixties episode. So another thing that came up uh, on our Discord, there was an extended discussion. I'm not going to rehash the whole thing, but uh, I want to mention um, some discussion of how we approached Subspace Rhapsody, where we got into some uh, deeper discussion of the various plot lines and that sort of thing. And uh, I'm, I'm going to read the, the last comment from the person who brought it up, a Minix, on our Discord. Uh, and we can discuss that. And so they say, I understand that others approach this episode differently than, than they do. That's why I was giving my opinion. I don't think the episode is only about the songs, but primarily about the songs. The songs make or break the episode. Agreed. There is a story, which I appreciate, and I admire how they were able to weave it in with the music quite well. And there are larger tie-ins, which is why I thought this felt like a season finale, something you also mentioned, because it tied up a lot of plot threads. My appreciation for the songs takes all of that into account because many of the songs make no sense and lose most of their emotional punch without what has happened throughout the season. I'm not saying we should take the music out of context. I guess my point is that we ought not to worry about whether the genre of music Uhura sent into the subspace fold was the same we got back or whether the rules of musicals were followed and such. That was the origin of my original nitpick comment. I withdraw it and substitute and said, sweating the details. And so I would, to clarify, Aminix was saying that we spent too much time sweating the details or nitpicking uh, Subspace Rhapsody in our discussion. So what do you think? Well, so I think that that's, I mean, it, it's, it's well, number one, this is a review show and we just review episodes and talk about what struck us. And these were things that struck us. Um, also, there are parallels in other fields. I mean, this is a musical episode. Well, theater critics critique musicals and they talk about what they liked in the musicals and what they didn't, what they thought could have been better. And we did all that. Um, Other people, and this is normal for every, you know, form of entertainment consumption, different people will be impressed by different things. And that's entirely legitimate Um, for someone who, um, who is more focused on the songs and that's to them what's most important about this episode. Well, that's a that's that's fine. That's what's important to them. Um, I tend to be someone, even though I, I like musicals, at least good ones. Um, I I also plot is valuable to me. And and, you know, I can recognize I'm a huge Gilbert and Sullivan fan. I can do what number one does. I can sing the modern major general song from memory. Uh, but which I won't, but, um, not now anyway, but, um, I also need plot in Gilbert and Sullivan and some of the Gilbert and Sullivan operettas are more popular than others for a reason. The Mikado is just genius level plotting. I mean, they have one premise and everything else just unspools from that premise. The Pirates of Penzance is not as tightly plotted as um as the Mikado, but it's still very it's still very creatively plotted and and both of those have great music. On the other hand, you look at something like The Sorcerer, and it's got basically one really good song in it. And other songs are okay, but it's got one that's really good, which is for those who want to know, it's my name is John Wellington Wells. I'm a dealer in magic and spells. That's the re- that's clearly the breakout number 
from the sorcerer, but the plot is quite simple and not not overly interesting. And theater critics will point these things out. And in fact, they did point them out in um, in Gilbert and Sullivan's own time there. If you've ever seen Topsy Turvy, which is a biopic of Gilbert and Sullivan, which is not a comedy, you know, at one point Gilbert's reading a newspaper and it's got a review of their recent efforts talking about the good and the bad points of their different operas. And I see those good and bad points, too. Um, but it's, you know, it's a subjective enterprise. So no pun intended. So if uh, if you valued other things and, and didn't sweat it, sweat others, that's your prerogative. Yeah. And it's you know, I, I would say, again, as someone who's not the biggest fan of musicals, uh, the plot does matter. I mean, it, it really does, especially in this context, because this is a, a TV series that uses many genres to tell its stories. And in that particular episode, they chose a genre of a musical, and that's great. But you still need the plot, because, I mean, if you take a musical and you remove the plot, what do you have? An album. A concert. Oh, yeah. A concert <laughs> or an, you know, an album. Mm-hmm. You know, you 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 just have a bunch of music. And I mean, that's fine. I know people who listen to musical albums where it is just the music from the album. You can get the musical album from this episode on Spotify, I think it is, and Apple and mm-hmm. all those other places, you know. So if you want to just listen to the music, that's great. But this is an episode of a TV series where the plot does matter. And so, yeah, of course, we're going to critique the plot. And, and I mean, I even said during the episode, I felt the plot did a good job of connecting the songs and, you know, and advancing the storyline that they were advancing in the episode because they did conclude a lot of emotional storylines or at least advance emotional storylines within the episode. So it wasn't just the music. So yeah, critiquing the plot, I think is a legitimate thing to do, especially in, in this context. You know, we sometimes get people who say, you know, um, you, you guys are new, not just our show, but our other shows in StarQuest, you know, Oh, it's too nitpicky. Uh, why are you, you know, nitpicking every bad thing. And, and, but what we were doing is we're it's because we're, we're bad people. Come on. <laughs> and it's and it's fun to criticize bad episodes no, or. Well, that is true. <laughs> but but even on the good stuff, we we love a, th- a thing and we want to dig into mm-hmm. it. We want to know more. You know, I mean, if I love Star Trek, this I wouldn't do an ep- a, a, a series about Star Trek if I didn't love Star Trek as a whole. Exactly. And so I want to get into it. I want to look at it from all angles. Um, it's the same way with, you know, the Lord of the Rings or, you know, a, a, or musical album you know that that i love i want to get into it there are some parts i like more than other parts but we're also about finding what is good and true and beautiful in things and in, mm-hmm. in the culture around us and so we're digging in as i say at the beginning of every episode the hidden layers and deeper meanings we're looking deeper than the surface we're looking deep into these things deeper than some people want to go which is fine but that's mm-hmm. what this podcast is about and yeah and, and- if we didn't sweat the details our episode would have been about 10 minutes long anyway. So, uh, and, you know, and, you know, Dom and I, we talked about discovery episode or season four, and we did an episode on that. And, you know, we were very clear that we do not like discovery. Discovery has some very serious flaws. It's got some very serious issues in its message, but they were still good there. And we critiqued what was, what we see as flaws. And we talked about what we thought was good about it and we suffered through it. So you don't have to, but you know, we, we, we took both ways. And I, I, You know, I think the three of us would agree that we try to find that balance between what is good in an episode and what is worth critiquing. And we're going to critique what we think is worth critiquing, and we are going to praise what we think is worth praising. 
I would not uh, participate in this podcast if I didn't fundamentally enjoy Star Trek. And as part of that enjoyment, I think about it as I watch it. I think about, okay, what's here? What do I like? Why did they do that? You know, and I try to Mm -hmm. understand it from a writing perspective. And then as part of the writing perspective, how could they have done this better? And so, but that's a, a tribute to how much I enjoy it. Because if I did not enjoy it, I wouldn't be watching it. Just like mm-hmm. I didn't enjoy Star Trek Discovery after a certain point, and I stopped watching it, and that's why I'm not right. in that discussion. Right, right. It's yeah, and, and understanding where the flaws are, weaknesses, even helps you appreciate the strengths even more. And I think that's an mm-hmm. element of it as well. Anyway, I think that's a good discussion, and I hope that's a. I bring that up because I think it's a valuable discussion for us to have every once in a while about yeah. why we do the things we do. So Absolutely. Good. All right. So uh, that will conclude our discussion of Strange New World Season 2. And as we head out, I want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Lauren N., Father Christopher V., Christopher K., Patrick M., and Father Jonathan S. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So we'd love to hear from you. What did you think of Hegemony or Season 2 of Strange New Worlds? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash track or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Media, or send an email to trek at sqpn.com or visit our Discord community at sqpn.com slash Discord. You can watch The Secrets of Star Trek on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Media. We'll be back next time when you'll hear us discussing the original series episode, Tomorrow is Yesterday. Until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thank you, live long and prosper, and why you only calling us when you got your dramas? One of these days we'll repay you, we'll slay you, gonna draw your last breaths at the end of class. Your eternal torture is every Klingon stream, you know what I mean, to make your blood scream. Kapla! <laughs> Wrong episode. <laughs> <laughs> and once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, breaking case of Gorn. Gorn.